Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? I think we're doing well, Jordan. Uh, it's uh, still an interesting time. Jordan, you are producing some awesome work on the Athletic uh, app and, and website. We should start there. After everybody gets done listening to our podcast, of course, uh, they should go to the app and to the website to check out all your great work because you've been all over not only the moves that the Rams have been making, but a great story uh, today on Thursday about some of the offseason work that the defensive line is is already starting in on. So definitely encourage everybody uh, to check that out. It's, it's just the start. Jordan's all over it, and she's going to be all over it for the next few months here leading up to the uh, to the season. But Jordan, it's it's been about a week, I guess, since we since we talked to the people here, and there's there's been a lot of money moving around. Not among you and I. I don't I don't <laughs> try not to give up any of my money, uh, but the Rams have been moving around some money here, and I, I know some numbers get put out there. We love websites like Over the Cap and Spot Track. They just do amazing, amazing work. Uh, to to keep people updated on, on what salary cap situations are like, but they they're not updated instantaneously. It takes a little bit of time. So, Jordan, could you maybe kind of set the table now where where the Rams are about uh, about ten days in, into free agency here? Yeah, so I think there was some excitement, and I put this out in a little bit more detail in a post earlier this week. Um, our our short form briefs over at the Athletic are free, so if you see those links come out, you can you can get in there and see a little bit of an expanded, not as long as the story itself, but an expanded brief to where you can you can get a feel for what's going on. So there was a little bit of excitement because the NFLPA. So the, teams have to file over public their public salary cap report to the NFLPA, and all contracts have to file over through to the NFLPA as well. Um, just because a player signs it doesn't mean it's then been filed over. Sometimes it takes a little time and, and maneuvering, and they're obviously sorting through hundreds and hundreds of contracts at this time. And it's sometimes as slow to to update much like the teams would be would be slow to input the contracts themselves. So there was a little bit of fuss and excitement um, about the NFLPA publicly filing the salary cap report that showed the Rams about $17.1 million under the cap, which is obviously <laughs> quite a long way away from where they were two weeks ago, which was like $33 million over the cap. So First and foremost, and if you have been following my coverage, you know this already, but I'm going to reiterate it for you and also issue it a strong thank you to everybody who has kept track with me um, over the last two and a half, three weeks. It's been really crazy, but one of my biggest goals this spring was to sort of walk everyone through the process so nothing would surprise you. Um, hopefully I've done that. If I haven't, please send me your feedback, questions, concerns, and comments. Um, okay, so basically how they got there was restructures of um, Jalen Ramsey's contract, restructuring Aaron Donald's contract, restructuring Robert Woods' contract, and restructuring Cooper Cup's contract. They also did a restructure to Andrew Whitworth's contract. We're going to get to that in one second. But the first ones that I mentioned are really important because the extensions that were done um, with especially Jalen Ramsey, Robert Woods, and Cooper Cup, those are the most recent extensions they they did. They also did those extensions after it became clear that the league was going to be changed and the league revenue was going to be changed um, following the pandemic, okay? Or, you know, we're still in it, but you, you guys get what I'm right. saying. The revenue is going to change. 
Now, it didn't change the terms of the contract. We know that Jalen Ramsey signed the the record-breaking deal. Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Um, it, it was interesting because Robert Woods maybe could have waited a year, but once they got done with Cooper, um, he and his representation um, also made that push to try to get signed, which I think in hindsight was very, very smart because you're seeing all of these player markets totally bottom out this year, and who yeah. knows what's going to happen next year. So it's very smart. But – they're also, as a precaution against the future, what also um, is now in a lot of contracts that you'll see more and more, and especially are seeing in restructures this year, um, and in, and is also in Matthew Stafford's contract, by the way, um, is auto conversion language, which means a dollar for dollar salary to bonus conversion, which means that you can prorate the money however you want, but it's dollar for dollar. The player is not getting a pay cut. They're not taking a pay cut. My understanding is a similar language is in Aaron Donald's contract, but was naturally built into that massive extension because they knew at one point they were going to have to open him up um, as, as a little bit of a safety valve. That's just what happens with some of these major contracts. Okay. The difference is Andrew Whitworth's contract. There aren't and there aren't very many years after to backload proration money and, and bonus money into, right? He's only under contract for the next two years. There's an out after 2021, just in case. It's basically really flexible for him if he decides, if and when he decides ever, which he might be playing till he's 90, but if he ever decides to hang <laughs> it up, um, it's flexible in that way. It's also flexible for the team because at some point they do have to figure out who's next at left tackle. Um, so. It's it's a short contract, so you can't backload a lot of it. So basically what happened was they agreed to him taking a pay cut. So it was um, – now now that's not necessarily – like you, we still are going to have to see where the cash went and also where the money backloads and prorates over the next two, maybe two plus one um, seasons. And and if there's dead money and all, we still have – all of that paperwork still has to come through, right? So we, we're still waiting on that. Um, but the point is, he went from about, I think it was about, what, $7 million and and he went down to $4 million. So then right. the, that $3 million, they figure out what else to do with it. And then, um, you know, some of the other structure of the deal was, was backloaded. So that's why those are different. Um, when we get back to this 17.1 million number, the reason why it's not the most accurate number and will change again is because... Um, also, according to my own internal data that I got from the NFL PA, they had not yet accounted for Leonard Floyd's contract, um, which, as we know, is really light in 2021, but does backload. Um, and there is some guarantees in there that need to be accounted for. And it also had not accounted for Deshaun Jackson's contract, which is like going to be super low one year, probably closer to the minimum um, or closer to, you know, receiver, low end receiver money. And so um, those two things had not been officially filed over. So when you see that 17 million, um, you know, Leonard Floyd's cap number is, is going to be, I think, about five and a half million this year. So you, you probably want to subtract that. And then you also subtract maybe another two for two or three for Deshaun. So really you're looking around maybe 10, maybe less. And then also keep in right. mind, this is only their top 51 contracts. So the Rams, right. as of this filing, had 64 players under contract. So, um, you know, you're also factoring in, you got to sign draft picks. You're probably still trying to extend Austin Blythe and you're playing chicken with the center market right now. So you still haven't done that. <laughs> Maybe they'll do it by the end of today or tomorrow. I don't know. But um, at some point, you know, that that money has to be has to be used elsewhere. So they're still 
pretty tight, but um, just wanted to run you guys through a quick explainer of how they got here and um, what those numbers look like. And um, hopefully that was helpful. And as always, I am around on Twitter um, and in the athletic app for questions if you have questions. Yeah. And everybody listening to this, you will get a, a quiz in your email uh, within the hour and you can just send us your answers back and we'll grade them and see how you did. Um, it, it's funny, Jordan, covering the Rams, like I, I almost feel like a degree in finance is is more important than, than a degree in journalism, uh, just because we, we do this every year, the uh, the salary cap machinations and, and trying to figure out where the where the money is going and moving around. So it is the NFL is, is very very, very complicated with this sort of thing. And, and that's why you see people uh, get hired specifically to do these jobs to, to figure out how to move all that money around. So uh, yeah, th- this is why, I mean, it's, it, we, uh, Jordan, we joke about it now on an annual basis. The stories come out every, every January and February about how the Rams are in salary cap hell and how are they ever going to possibly get out of this. And then a month later, everybody forgets about that because they've, um, but this is why they structure the contracts the way that they do. And when you look at them, when they're signed, they make a lot of sense because they are looking down the line when some, like you said, Jordan, when Aaron Donald gets signed a couple years ago, they are looking a couple years down the line to see, all right, if we need to do this, then that option is available for us. Or Jalen mm-hmm. Ramsey last year or Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, all of these things are not done in a vacuum. They're done with the understanding that they're going to build in some what you want to call it protection or options or whatever it may be so that they can uh, do these sort of things to give themselves some flexibility. So it's, it's, I've, I've likened it before, I think to a little bit of a high wire act. Uh, It's, it's not the, certainly not the most conservative way to run your cap, but uh, the Rams have have to this point had success with it. And uh, it looks like they're, they're doing okay um, this year with it. So, Jordan, you mentioned um, Austin Blythe, and and as we sit here recording on <laughs> the late morning of Thursday, March 25th, just in case it becomes an issue at some point, uh, they have not re-signed Austin Blythe, and he has not signed with anybody. He's still a free agent. Um, how how long? And I'm just asking you on on instinct here, not uh, not in necessarily any you know reporting. Uh, but do you, do you think this is a short-term thing? I, I honestly kind of thought, like, I'll, I'll own up to my side of this. Like, I thought it probably would have been done by now. We, we recorded about a week ago. Uh, I, I thought maybe this week would be the week that they kind of let things settle and be like, all right, here's, you know, here's what Austin's market is. Here's maybe what we can do now that our cap numbers are a little bit more settled. But it's not done yet. So, what do you think? What, do you have any instincts on this? Do you, do you think it's by the end of March? Do you think it goes into, you know, getting closer to the draft? Or what What do you think we're looking at here? You know, it's pretty interesting to think about. I think like when I've talked to agents in the past and they kind of have found themselves in like market testing situations that you see right now with with Austin Blythe um, and and a couple of other centers. So that that bears keeping in mind is it almost, like I said before, it almost feels like they're playing a little bit of chicken, trying to see how low they can get or how close they can get to the team number. And then obviously Austin Blythe would be wanting more money if he's testing the market and trying to look for a little bit more security long-term. When I've talked to agents in the past though, it's kind of like the closer you get to the draft, the less, like it's worse for the player, the closer you get to the draft as these things Mm. drag out. So the the team it's kind of like we're in that window right now where they could still maybe agree to something beneficial to both player and to team 
Um, but the closer you get to the draft, the more leverage the team has because they can start seeing where the boards will fall and they'll start having a better idea of what other teams across the league, what their boards look like and doing intel on some of their their interest in certain players. So you have a better feeling on whether you can you can draft that that player that you maybe were playing chicken with in free agency. And that right. gives the team more leverage, obviously, because nobody's cheaper than a rookie on a second round draft pick contract. Well, right. unless it's a rookie on a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh round draft pick contract. <laughs> but they probably should not go super low if they're looking for a center. Um, but, you know, so I think like next two weeks, uh, maybe that's even a little bit long, but next two weeks is is like the window for having something mutually beneficial or even mutually, um, you know, agreeable, not even beneficial, but mutually agreeable happen. And uh, I would think that the more, the longer that they wait, the more leverage the team has. Um, But then also, you know, teams could come out and through their, their um, big board situations and their draft analyses meetings, um, which are kind of in the process of, of really deepening right now. And they could come out and say, there's no way that we can, go get a center. So let's see who's on the market. And that's when they see Austin Blythe still available. So it really just depends. Um, in, in terms of, I still like, I still would be surprised if he weren't back with the Rams in 2021. Um, I have been wrong before and I'm wrong a lot. So, um, I want to, I do want to say that my free agency, uh, if I was like checking off point sheets or something in free agency, I think I did. Okay. This year, which yeah. this is my first Rams free agency, so thanks everybody for for bearing with me on that. Um, it was weird because they just a lot of guys left, and <laughs> I should be right. I should be used to that, uh, or I should right. or, excuse me, I should have expected that, but it still was was kind of wild to to see. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's just going to kind of depend um, here in the next couple of weeks, and and I I would be surprised, but you know. Crazier things have happened, I'll say that. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, there's no <laughs> question about that. I mean, uh, the Rams have uh, – they, they they pull out – I mean, I think the Brandon Cooks trade was in July, you know, so as, as I remember it. Because I, I, I'm pretty sure I was on vacation when it happened. So that's how I remember it. So, yeah, these things – there's no real timetable on these things. They're, you know, we can look at them and think, oh – it makes sense to do it at a certain time or it's logical to do it at a certain time, but not necessarily. I mean, things can come together pretty much any time uh, of, of the year. So, yeah, I'm looking at that, too. I, I agree, Jordan. I think all things being equal, uh, he, he'll be back. I, there's obviously a lot of comfort with, with Austin over the last couple of years. I mean, he's put down roots here, his family and things like that. So I, I know he's comfortable being in LA, comfortable being with the Rams, and I don't see a reason necessarily, all things being equal, why they would want to part with him, uh, unless it's purely a, a money thing. Um, so I, I do, I do think it'll get done, but you just never know. So we'll we'll see where that goes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um. And Jordan, we have a really exciting new feature coming up later in this episode. We're actually going to be taking listener voicemails and answering questions. You did a fantastic job of of promoting this on Twitter, and our producer extraordinaire, Danielle, 
when she's not out uh, working on her career as a hockey goalie, does fantastic <laughs> work for us on uh, on our podcast and has helped pull together these clips. So we're going to be answering some listener questions at the at the end of the episode, and we've got some really good ones and some topics that uh, that I'm really excited to talk about. But before we get there, and and since the the last episode, Jordan, you had a chance to virtually meet Matthew Stafford after that trade uh, became official. The Rams did a Zoom call to introduce him to uh, the local media. So that was the first time that that you were able to to talk to him. I'll just throw it out to you, Jordan. I mean, there's a lot to cover here. Any any takeaways for you? Anything that really stood out in terms of things that, that Matthew Stafford said or, or any kind of insight that you got in, into what he might be bringing to the Rams? Yeah, he seems like a pretty chill guy. Like he's pretty laid back. I think we've all, you know, immersed ourselves in the in the clips of his last twelve years in the league. And if you're Sean McVay, you went all the way back to his clips of of uh, some of his cutups when he was at Georgia. So that's that's some dedication right there. Um, but I I'm nothing about his introduction surprised me. He you know there wasn't a lot of news broken, but it was more reiteration of things that we sort of had expected from him. You know, he he wants to come in and really create some some good relationships and really start to get to work right away. The, now, keep in mind, the players still don't know what the offseason period is going to look like. Last year, it was right. obviously all virtual. Um, this year, there is the added difference of there being vaccinations uh, available in some areas. Um, and so, you know, it's there's there's very much still a lot unknown. So he's really trying to communicate and connect with with certain people. And he mentioned he'd already talked to Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. So those are two two big boxes you have to check and Andrew Whitworth as well. Um, you know, I really appreciated everything he talked about of this transition and how it it was so it, it took so long for it to sink in because it was such a massive change, but then also something he's that's really excited him and, and invigorated him. Um, he wants to win now and he thinks Los Angeles is the place where he can win. So, you know, that's obviously very exciting for fans to hear, especially with the the Super Bowl at SoFi. I think there's there's been a lot of conversation about pressure on him. Um, hmm. And I think that's fair. I think it's fair to put pressure on the quarterback, no pun intended. Um, and, and especially <laughs> one who was so vocal with his own franchise or his own pr- prior franchise about moving and and moving on and and going somewhere where he believes he can win a championship. So yeah, I think there's pressure there. But but Rich, I also think there's a ton of pressure um if not most pressure on Sean McVay, who was the leader of this move, who the yeah. second he found that Matthew Stafford was available, got his guys within the front office on board. This was very much he took the lead in this. And I I do want everybody to go read the fantastic deeply reported piece that Lindsay theory at ESPN put out uh, yesterday that dissected more of what we know about the, the Jared Goff and Sean McVay situation and the de-evolution of, of their relationship together um, and reiteration of what we had talked about back in January when this trade happened and the column that I put out um after talking to sources inside and outside of the organization about what happened and why John Walford continued to 
lean them into that direction um, of, of making a change at, at quarterback and why the perception and what the perception was that changed between Sean McVay and, and Jared Goff. And Lindsay did a great job of, of reiterating those things and then, you know, digging in and getting some, some really fantastic quotes from sources. Um, and I, so I want everybody to go read that. But the, the thing is, is there's nowhere else to go for Sean McVay. If you don't yeah. go up, if you don't move your team up in its league standing right now, um, you are failing and and there is nowhere else to move because you've you know you've pushed for this move in this way. So it's it is a high pressure situation. I do get the impression that that is the type of environment in within which both Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay prefer to operate. So maybe it will be a good thing. Um, Matthew Stafford said that it was a good thing to feel sort of that that breath behind his back and like that, that sort of um, the walls closing in and that pressure of you have to win. Now you've, you've done this major thing. Now you have to win. Um, And, but I also don't think we can have that conversation, even 10% of that conversation without also pointing directly to Sean McVay. And now this is most of this is going to be a spotlight directly on him moving forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Jordan. And and that's what I, I think you, you just said it really well there. I, I think there, there's already a baseline here. And, and the baseline that existed with Jared Goff, whatever you think of him, whatever you think of the way that he played, the baseline for Jared Goff and that Rams offense was they were a 10-win team, a playoff team, a Super Bowl team at one point. And last year were very much, you know, very easily could have made the NFC Championship game. That's the baseline right now. So to make a big swing move like this, you, and when I say you, I mean Sean McVay, are betting that you can do better than that. And there's not a whole lot of room between you, your head and the ceiling right now uh, to say that we're a, we're a consistent 10-win team that makes the playoffs and occasionally is in contention for the Super Bowl, and we think we can get better. Uh, that's wow. That's, that's a high bar to clear. Uh, and there's not a lot of room there other than actually making the Super Bowl and winning the Super Bowl. So that's the standard that, that Sean McVay is setting for himself here. And I agree, Jordan, if it doesn't happen, there's not a whole lot of other shoulders that this is going to fall on. I, it, I don't really want to hear people say it's less Sneed's fault. I don't even really want to hear people say it's Matthew Stafford's fault <laughs> because, you know, this is the move that Sean thought he needed to make. Uh, I think he has earned the right to make those moves. And and I, I would go back to last year, Jordan, when, you know, he made the decision to essentially cut ties with Wade Phillips. And a lot of people, myself included, looked at that situation and went, are you kidding? Like, that's what are you doing? Like, you're getting rid of, you know, one of the best defensive coordinators in, in the history of, of the NFL. And it worked out. Uh, Sean bet on himself. He he took a big swing move, bringing in Brandon Staley, who had very little resume in the NFL. And what happened? The Rams had the best defense in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So you look at that and you'd say, all right, Sean McVay, they, they gave him some rope and he he made it work. He did the right thing. So I to me, this is an even bigger uh, risk because you are not only financially, you're putting the team in in a, you know, a little bit of a situation here with all the dead cap and things like that. So it's it's a financial hit. You are changing the culture of your team for better or worse. Uh, the quarterback is is the guy whose every eye in the locker room is on him. 
So you're, you're putting somebody else up on that pedestal now and, and betting that that's going to pay off. And then, of course, you're betting that it's going to pay off on the field. And that's the most important thing. And Matthew Stafford, the stats look great. He's motivated. Uh, he's, he's never won a playoff game. Uh, I, I, I think that needs to be said. I don't think he needs to be blamed for that. He's been on some really, really awful Detroit Lions teams. And I don't know whether any quarterback could have, could have helped some of those teams, but, uh, there's not really a body of work there that you could point to and say, yeah, we're, we're sure that this guy is going to be the one, uh, to, to have the Super Bowl, uh, to have to take the Rams to the Super Bowl in SoFi Stadium. Uh, but that's the bet that they're making. And I think Sean has earned the right to make that bet. But I agree 100% with you, Jordan, that if there's criticism to be had here, I think it's pretty clear where it's going to fall. So seems like everybody in the organization is on the same page here. They, they all understand that. Uh, but wow, is this going to be something super interesting to watch over the course of the season? Yeah, it's it's such an interesting look at how things work and how decisions are made because I mean, you look at some of the things that leaked out like right after the trade and and it's it's Sean McVay who's on the phone with Stan Kroenke and telling him that they need to right. do this. You know, and and so in in that you are centering yourself as the head coach, you're centering yourself as the person who um is it's not only in the lead. Now, I'm not saying he wasn't enabled in making this decision. And enabled has right. a negative connotation. Like this could be great. <laughs> like right. this could be right, right. this could be freaking awesome, man. And I love Matthew Stafford. I think this could be really fun. However, we also have to be realistic about, you know, anything could happen at this point, right? Any we we've already we've already experienced the unprecedented and the unthinkable. So I I think right. if we're looking at this fairly and and without bias, you know, anything could happen. So it is interesting to see how things were centered and and also, you know, Sean McVay's making that phone call and and in the lead on pushing for this. And Sean McVay is is in the lead on um you know, adamantly making it extremely clear that he is is done with Jared Goff, and and right. um and even like very very um, stark juxtaposition in the way that he was talking about John Walford versus the way he was talking about Jared by the end of last season. And I'm not saying that yeah. John Walford is like an all pro, like I don't. <laughs> that's a misconception. I think people may have misinterpreted on my end. Like, I'm not saying John Walford was going to be like their next franchise quarterback. I'm just saying that it, it showed him what was possible with a player who has a small portion of the same skill set that Matthew Stafford, a franchise quarterback has. And then you add in things like, as we know now, you know, the work ethic and, and um, showing up, you know, even at the same time as McVay was in the off season and like all of these things that, you know he admires in people, um, and you know that he he really appreciates in in um, in his players, and that's a truth. That's we know that about McVay. So it's it's really interesting right. to see um, how the, all of the measurables that were taken into account into making this leap, and then going going at it one million miles an hour. And my sense from Sean McVay is like he's probably not going to do anything at less of a speed than that. 
whether that turns out right. to be a good thing in the long run for this franchise or a, a bad thing, um, I think we still don't know. But for now, it's been a good thing in the sense that they are consistently competitive and they um, very interestingly uh, pivot from from mistakes and quickly have sh- have now started like very quickly trying to pivot from mistakes and sort of testing the edges of the the structure of the NFL in terms of of how they they run salaries and how they operate uh with with all sorts of the things that tell you you can't make quick pivots from mistakes now they're trying to press those boundaries which um which I think is really interesting I I really think that is absolutely fascinating because they're they're moving more fluidly and more mobily, uh, which I guess is a metaphor for what they're doing at quarterback <laughs> as well. <laughs> so we've, yeah. we've come full circle. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, it's, I, I, that's a great point too, Jordan. I mean, this, this is Sean McVay's MO. This is who he is. There's no, you know, what's the, the, the anybody who watched Breaking Bad, you know, no half measures. Like he doesn't, you you either go all in or you or you don't do it at all. So I I've always respected that about him. He's somebody who obviously has a strong belief in himself and and what he does and and what he wants to do. And again, you you can't argue with the results over the last four years, uh, the, the the turnaround that this franchise has made. But uh, this this is the big one. I mean, and this is a very very high risk uh swing uh, and uh, you know the, the ultimate reward is high too if you can win a super bowl but you are really kind of pigeonholing pigeonholing yourself into saying uh, look we we think we can make this move into being a team that makes the divisional round uh, to a team that wins the super bowl and there's a lot of teams out there right now that would just love to get the to the divisional round they would love to be where the rams are right now a 10 win team that can that can make that stage uh, but the Rams are betting that they can push it even farther. So they think Matthew Stafford is the guy, and we're going to find out a lot uh, about that. So the Rams, uh, Jordan, the, the one uh, cool thing about your job, the Rams are going to be a team that's talked about for a lot uh, uh, over the offseason. So I'm it's, excited it's definitely, about that. Uh, yeah, they're going to be a high-profile team. But Here you go, Rich. I've, I've got one thing for you here, Rich, and I think you'll yes. appreciate this. Here, okay, here's, the, here's the 2021 Los Angeles Rams. So it's going to be forever or it's going to go down in flames. You can tell me when it's over if the high was worth the pain. (laughs) Wow. Very nice. I looked that up just for you. Yes, yeah, somebody uh, somebody should put a banner up uh, in in your home. I think to commemorate that uh, that, that lyric. Yeah, um, I'm touched. I don't I don't know how to go on uh, for, from that, but but I'll try. I'll try try to go on. We love Taylor Swift. Um, Jordan mentioned it uh, a few minutes ago, but how excited are we about this? The people. People are actually going to get to hear voices other than ours okay, can on I, this podcast. Can I just say, like, uh, I I always am re- reminding people that I'm like I'm really corny and earnest, and I um, yes. hearing these voicemails made me so happy. You guys, I have not heard a lot of 
human voices <laughs> um, over the last year other than, um, and, and like I talk to you guys, I try to talk to you guys on Twitter and everything, but actually hearing right. people's voices, like it really made my day. So right. thank you. We've got, we got a ton of voicemails that people sent in and we were only for time purposes. Um, we were only able to pick, I think, what was it? Five. So we're going to get to your questions. Um, lots and lots of great questions. If we didn't answer it this week, please, please, please follow up with us. Um, and we'll also try to keep track of the ones we didn't answer and use in the future. Um, but please keep sending us voicemails. We love it. And it really, really meant a lot because we felt a little bit more connected to you guys. And um, it certainly made my day. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Love, love the idea. And and like I said, Jordan has has done a great job of uh, promoting this on Twitter. But in, in case people don't see and, and they're just listening right now and, and think, well, how do I get involved in this? Um, you can you can call this number. It's area code 562-384-384. Two four six four. I'll repeat that. It's area code five six two three eight four two four six four. It's just a voicemail line. I don't want anybody to, you know, get all excited and think like I'm going to pick up or anything. I mean, I know how excited everybody would be to talk to me, but uh, it, it is just a voicemail line. But but we we certainly will monitor it and uh, and like Jordan said. Uh, try to answer as many. We'll we'll do this on a regular basis and and try to get to as many as we can. Please don't get offended if we don't answer your question. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's not it doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of your question. We want to spread it around a little bit. Get to as many different topics as we can. So Jordan, we might as well get going here, right? So uh, producer extraordinaire uh, uh, Danielle, do you want to you want to cue us up with our with our first question? Hey, Rich and Jordan, how's it going? My question for you guys is what your thoughts are on the Deshaun Jackson signing. I like it. Jackson obviously has experience with McVay and and adds a veteran presence to the wide receiver room. But my question is, why do you think the Rams went that route as opposed to a rookie? It seems like McVay seems to prefer veterans in his offense rather than inserting rookies for whatever reason. I mean, you saw it with Van Jefferson last year getting limited time in the offense and Bryson Hopkins only got three snaps all year. So why do you think – that is. Why do you think McVeigh prefers to have veterans in his in, in his offense rather than inserting someone like you know they could have drafted someone like Dwayne Eskridge or Diami Brown from North Carolina. So why do you think they prefer to go the route of a veteran like Deshaun Jackson as opposed to a rookie? Thank you. I love this question for many reasons. Uh, one of them is it lets us talk about some timely news and the Rams um, signing. Deshaun Jackson for a year, uh, probably a pretty minimal deal, as we mentioned before. I also like that uh, this caller brought up both Van Jefferson and Bryson Hopkins because I think that their role in the Rams offense in 2021 will be important. Um, and he also dropped a couple of uh, of, of exciting names that, um, that people, I think, should keep an eye on in the draft. Um, okay, Rich, so I... I I understood the Deshaun Jackson trade. I think that it's a uh, low risk, or excuse me, not trade. Whew. Uh, I understood the right. Deshaun. <laughs> I understood the D- Deshaun Jackson signing. Um, it's it's a low risk signing um, with high potential. I think that he's not going to be getting a huge target share. So, in my opinion, that should mean that Van Jefferson is still going to slot into wide receiver two with the predication that Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are your co-wide receiver ones. So the target share for Van Jefferson should increase if uh, 
if I were running the system, that's what I would plan for because you can still have Deshaun Jackson taking 10 to 15, 15 to 20% of the target share and still he could be a threat that would stretch out the defense and have that top end speed because you know when he's on the field, even if he's not going to be the target, even if he's a read in your progression, you still as a defense, he you still account for him as a threat because you know that even though it might not happen, if it does happen, it will be a touchdown most likely. So the other part of that is Deshaun Jackson has to stay healthy. Uh, he's only played eight games in the last two seasons because of health issues. So, um, yeah. you know, I, I like him coming in and working with Reggie Scott, who's done a great job with Rams players uh, for a long, long time at this point. But I, I think that it it creates a little bit more of a balance in um in that top end because when you have the top shelf of a defense that is is having to account for a player who could get behind them in that way it increases mathematical advantages for players like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup and Van Jefferson and it increases opportunities for them to have more workable room and workable space in their intermediate layers. Like instead of Cooper Cup running against double coverage because one of those guys would have to probably account for a Deshaun Jackson, even if Deshaun's not getting the ball, still having to account for him, um, that lifts off or at least creates a little bit more of a cushion for Cooper Cup because he would have one tight and one off instead of two tight on him. So it kind of it kind of just helps loosen things up and and you know I think that that can make a any 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 edge that you can find in that regard um is important. And then also I like that that the caller brought up Bryson Hopkins because I think that getting him into contested catch situations and high pointing the football and also having him box out being a red zone threat um and in in tandem obviously with with Tyler Higby, I think that you have to you have to increase those opportunities for him. He has the potential and you have to get him on the field and you have to increase those opportunities. Um, it, my my sense was that just, you know, Gerald Everett was playing pretty well and um, the Rams still thought Bryson could develop a little bit more. So that was kind of my sense on that situation. But Rich, I think you could probably speak well to how rookies have historically been utilized in, in Sean's offense. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting point by by the caller there because um, yeah, I, I understand the point, and when you when you look at it, it it certainly bears it out a little bit. But I would say on the other side, I mean, Cooper Cup came in in, in twenty seventeen and and got quite a bit of trust right away. I mean, he had uh, ninety four targets in his first season and uh, you know close to nine hundred yards. So I don't think you can say across the board necessarily that Sean McVay doesn't trust rookies or, or things like that. I think it's just been a situation where um, they came in and, and obviously brought in Robert Woods right away, and he was a veteran and slotted in and uh, drafted Cooper Cup, and, and he slotted in right away. Sammy Watkins was there at that point, and and then obviously they traded for, for Brandon Cooks. I, I think there's a little bit of an element of every coach, if you, if you actually ask them, would lean toward the veteran player, uh, all things being equal, uh, over, over the rookie. I think that's just a little bit of the natural way that things are done. And then just remember last year, talking about Van Jefferson, Bryson Hopkins, things like that. I mean, these guys did not get an, an offseason. So that probably factored in a little bit just in terms of working within that offense. So I wouldn't draw too many conclusions uh, based on that, uh, just because we have seen other rookies come in and, and, and make an impact. So 
wouldn't say that across the board. But the only other thing I would add about Deshaun in, in particular, particular is I'll be curious to see what the number is there and, uh, you know, whether or not that's just a – it's a flyer to me kind of. We'll see what happens in training camp. I would not be surprised at all. And, in, in fact, if it was my – finger on the button, I would, I would draft another receiver. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah. I would, you know, just, uh, just, to, and then you see what happens. Maybe you bring in Deshaun Jackson and he's great. Maybe he, like you said, Jordan, he works with Reggie Scott. He can stay healthy. And then you've got a bargain uh, as a deep threat, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe you come in and, and unfortunately he's not able to overcome some of those injury issues. And if so, then okay. You, what 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 did you lose? You didn't lose that much. You can cut him in training camp or at the end of training camp and move on to somebody else, maybe who you've drafted or work in Van Jefferson a little bit more. So I think Sean's experience with Deshaun Jackson in, in Washington probably factors into he saw Deshaun Jackson at, at some of his best, so he knows what the potential is there. Uh, but but I don't think people should get too worked up about like, oh, the Rams are putting all their eggs in, in the Deshaun Jackson basket. I don't necessarily think that's true. Hi, Rich. Hi, Jordan. This is Karthik. So uh, Goff was very successful with Cooks. And when we let Cooks go, uh, McWay and Lesney said, you know, well, we have Josh Reynolds. He's going to be the deep threat guy. He's going to be the vertical guy. You know, he's going to substitute for Cooks. Uh, the reality is, you know, they couldn't afford Cooks. And they wanted Josh Reynolds to step up, I guess. Josh Reynolds didn't live up to be that guy, and you know it. It did feel like um, you know we tried to cheap out on the on that option. Now we have Deshaun Jackson, and of course, altogether a new quarterback. Um, so for this season with Matthew Stafford, how big of a deal is it to have a vertical game compared to how it was with Goff? Is Deshaun Jackson good enough? Are you satisfied with just? Uh, having him and not look into wide receiver in the draft. Thank you. Yeah, yeah good good follow-up just on, on what we were just saying there. I mean, I don't know, Jordan. Um, we'll see what they drew in the draft. If, if it was me, I would still look to add somebody, whether it's I, – I wouldn't use the second-round pick to be certain – um, I would look maybe somewhere in the fourth round range, somebody who has that skill set who you can uh, just, you know, maybe compete with this Deshaun Jackson or uh, that, that has a similar kind of run there. Look, Deshaun Jackson, when he's healthy, uh, the production is there. I mean, this is a guy who's a five-time thousand-yard receiver. I know he's now 34 years old and and those skills start to to diminish a little bit with time, but uh, he, he's certainly a guy who's proven that that he can be that that deep threat and and bring that kind of uh, dimension to the offense. So would I bet that he is absolutely going to be that guy for the Rams? No, I don't think I would bet that just on his his injury history over the last couple of years and his age. But I, I think it's a low risk uh, move. That, that was worth taking. But I, I don't know, Jordan. And, and the other thing here is I, I think you know and can speak to this much better than I am, than I can. We're, we're going to see a different Rams offense mm -hmm. this year. It, it's not going to be the 2020 Sean McVay offense just with Deshaun Jackson plugged in, right? Right. And it's a great point, Rich. I think I sometimes wonder what Josh Reynolds' year would have looked like and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Um, who were each, you know, the latter two were so close to having another 1,000-yard season. I wonder what 
their seasons would have looked like if they were actually throwing the ball downfield. You know, going back and looking at their film, those opportunities were there. We reported, um, like, in I know that a lot of you guys are going to, like, want to punch me through the through the the podcast app for saying this. But, again, to reiterate, like, they weren't – they were – for multiple reasons, including needing to needing the quarterback to take care, better care of the football. And then also um, the quarterback not taking certain shots downfield um, when they were in his progressions, um, they, they opted toward the higher probability plays, which were shorter yards after the catch plays. Um, they were built. There are, they're always built into Sean McVay's play design um, and it, it was really interesting to watch them sort of shrink toward the line of scrimmage in that regard and try as they might, you know, you can't, you, you need to have that balance of air yards plays because obviously, like we mentioned before, defenses will play off you a little bit and give you more room in the middle to work with what your, your two top receivers do best and what, what one of your tight ends does really well. So um, that was really interesting to watch and study last year. That's probably not going to be the case this season. Um, One of the things that helps Matthew Stafford get to those explosive throws that he very, very much likes to have and incorporate in in his passing game is the way that he can move his pocket around. He can um, reset coverages by what he can do um, with his eyes, with his arm, um, pre-snap, at snap, after snap, um, he can extend plays because he can move his pocket or move out of the pocket and reset his launch points. He can freestyle after the play. Um, very, very good at looking downfield into the potential of broken plays, which, which means when the receivers already run and cap to the top of their route, um, where they go next, Matthew Stafford is very good at looking at that as well and predicting that. Um, so I think that that is something that is really going to make a difference here. And again, I'm not saying John Walford is the the next franchise quarterback for Team X that needs a quarterback down the line, but because that's a skill set that he also had, um, it further motivated this coaching staff, specifically Sean, to move in th- in that direction. And we're looking at people who can do that. We're looking at quarterbacks who could do that. You know, they were singing Aaron Rodgers' praises at the end of the season. They were, um, you know, making a call and then getting hung up on (laughs) about that that situation, (laughs) finding out that Matthew Stafford was going to be available and that was like go time. So I do think that it's, it's going to be um, it's going to be different. And I think that having the vertical element is important. I think you're going to see Robert Woods and Cooper Cup go downfield a few times. They did, you know, Robert Woods was wide open many times downfield last season, um, waving his arms up in the corner of your screen. Van Jefferson, I would not be surprised to see him get vertical. But also, I agree with you, Rich. I do think they need to draft somebody as well. There's a kid from Auburn, a receiver from Auburn, that I want everyone to keep an eye on in the later rounds for for that reason. Um, but mm. but I do think that um, I do think that it's going to be interesting. I, I don't believe they're done. They also even though Deshaun would would add some competition in their return specialist game, I still do think they're going to try to identify uh, a receiver in the draft who would be able to do both things, would get 10% of the snap share and stretch the field as a threat, and then also be able to return uh, kicks and punts for you. Hey, Jordan. I've done like 100 different uh, draft simulators on Pro Football Focus's website. 
and I'm consistently getting Liam Eichenberg at number 57. Uh, do you think it's reasonable uh, to expect the Rams to go tackle with their first pick in the in the 2021 draft instead of filling a more immediate need like edge or maybe even center? Thanks a lot. Love the show. Aw. Rich, you were left out. You don't even have to answer this one. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I can uh, I can sit out this one. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, this is a great question. Um, I appreciated that the tackle position got brought up. This is such a good tackle draft class, and it's deep. Like, like they're pro- some people are projecting, you know, a dozen tackles go- coming off the board, even in the top fifty. So it, and and obviously that may not even happen, considering other teams sometimes draft for needs, some draft for best player available, and that might always not always reflect the tackle position. There's a good chance um, of of getting a getting a tackle at fifty seven. I I think that interior offensive line edge tackle. I think those could be, and this is my opinion, I think those could be the most highly identifiable positions for the Rams at that pick point. Um, And, you know, Rich, you've covered Andrew Whitworth for a long time, but also as every year passes, you keep in mind that sort of need for a contingency plan for the long term afterward. They already went through a sort of catastrophic situation pre-Whitworth where they thought they had a contingency plan, but guessed wrong. So it, it you right. know, you need to be very intentional about what you do moving forward. This is not to say that Joe Noteboom wouldn't be someone that they would consider in that regard. At the same time, they've they've had three years now to develop Joe Noteboom at some point. He's gonna need to get paid. Um, so there that might not be the the most efficient option for them, especially if they think they're gonna get another full year of Andrew um at left tackle. At that point, you're sort of almost phasing Joe out. So I I think that it would be okay um, and very feasible to see them pick up a tackle um, in this regard. Yeah, I I agree. I I think there's there's almost like a domino effect here that the the Rams need to figure out. First of all, you need to start with the fact that they absolutely do need to identify a a replacement for Andrew Whitworth. And unless you think he's going to retire and then they're going to make a trade or they're going to sign a free agent left tackle to plug in, I, I guess that's feasible. I don't really see that happening. I I think it's given the Rams everything that they have going on with their salary structure and things like that. It makes a lot more sense uh, to find somebody internally to to try to plug in. So uh, I think that's where you need to start. That that does need to happen. Uh, Step two is you look at your own guys. Like you just said, Jordan, how how do you feel about Joe Noteboom right now? And maybe even how do you feel about a Bobby Evans? And that's complicated a little bit by the fact that they are now changing offensive line coaches and Kevin Carberry comes in and certainly is going to want to get his own eyes on on those guys in practice settings and OTAs and things like that, uh, which those guys deserve that right uh, to, to have a fresh look from, from their new position coach. So maybe he has slightly different opinions uh, than, than the previous regime did, and, and maybe their stock changes either up, down, whatever. Um, so I think they need to look at that. I think they, circling back to our conversation about Austin Blythe, uh, I think that factors in if you can re-sign Austin Blythe, then obviously that position goes off the table for the draft, at least in the short term. You don't need to think about drafting a center uh, that high. So if, if all of those things fall in line, and f- for the reason you said, Jordan, with this draft class being so strong on offensive tackles, I think it would make a ton of sense. I really do to, to draft a, a, a tackle if there's somebody there. I would not reach, by the way. 
I would not take one just for the sake of taking one. But if they're sitting there at number 57 and there's somebody on their list who they like, who they've scouted and and think can be their future starting left tackle, I think you make that move. I, I absolutely think that you do. There are other positions. We just talked about receiver. You mentioned edge rusher, which I do think they also need a little bit of depth there. Uh, you, you can always do better with the interior line. It's never a bad idea to draft a, a guard center, even if you do resign uh, Austin Blythe. So there, there's moves that can be made there. But if you if you see somebody at 57 and you think this guy could be our left tackle for the next seven or eight years, whatever it might be, I, I don't think you pass that up. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Rich. This is Pink Survivor. My question for you is actually twofold. Most recently, Jared Goff met up with Cooper Cup and some of other some other receivers, I believe, um, during the off season to really sort of fine tune and hone in on their symmetry and their and their connection on the field. I'm wondering if Matthew Stafford has had an opportunity to meet any of the current receiving core, and if so, do they have any plans to meet up and try to get a, a leg up on that connection and that symmetry and that the connection that they could have. So. Hope you guys are well. Take care. We are well. Thank you, Pink Survivor. We appreciate you. Um, yeah, I. this is huge. This is massive, right? Because not only can Matt, Matthew Stafford not uh, interact really technically, NFL rules prevent you from really working with your position coaches during the, the offseason. They prevent you from working with your head coach on football-related activities. Um, you can really only open – a, a period, an onboarding period with the uh, the head athletic trainer, Justin Lovett. So he's sort of a liaison between the the coaching staff and the players at one point. So it's not it's not until the spring OTAs period opens up that you technically, as a player, can really begin your install. And the league does that because of competitive parity reasons and whatnot. It's like pretty dumb, but that's what they do. So um, <laughs> the other thing is that they don't know what kind of an offseason – they're going to have in general because of COVID. So um, I think that one of the most important things and something that Matthew Stafford has sort of alluded to is wanting to get done. You can set up receiving sessions. You can set up pass passing sessions. Um, and, and I would absolutely expect us to start seeing those like rattle through on Instagram um, over the next couple of weeks and months, because yeah. they absolutely are going to be getting the guys together somewhere in Southern California to, to work. There's also a chance Matthew Stafford in the past has worked with 3D QB in Huntington Beach. So there's a chance that he could do a little bit of work there as well now that it's so close to where he's going to be living. In that in that case, the receivers could go there as well um, and and be pass catchers for him as he runs through some of his his reps and his um, technical work. So I think that there's that that's the one going to be one of the most important things that Matthew Stafford does in the next few weeks is really start to establish that rapport. Um, you also hear about quarterbacks. If guys aren't in town, quarterbacks will go to them. So like, I think, uh, a guy like Cooper cup is up in Washington this time of year. So at that point, it would not be out of the question to see Matthew Stafford travel up to go work out with him, stay with him, build that rapport. Um, it, it's just not out of the question to see any of those things. And, and these guys get together. I think John Walford has already gotten some guys together according to his Instagram. Um, so it, it definitely is, is not, um, it's, you, you can't wait on any of these things. So that's something I absolutely expect to be one of the top items on his priority list moving forward. 
Yeah, I agree, Jordan. I absolutely think for all the reasons that we talked about, you know, Matthew Stafford's motivation too. I mean, he doesn't want to waste any time or waste any any days uh, leading up to the season. He wants to, I'm sure, hit the ground running, and and that will involve. I remember last year. I mean, it's it's, it's sad to to think about, but I you know, I remember seeing things on social media or whatever about how some of these quarterbacks and receivers were basically like trespassing on on high school fields so that they could actually go out and and work together because obviously everything was very much um, shut down there, but they really wanted to get that work in. So they were trying to do it safely and and basically get any kind of grass that they could to to go out and and work on. So I'm absolutely sure that that will work uh, at some point for Matthew Stafford. Not sure what his situation, even with his family is or things like that, or them moving, um, you know, out here to Southern California, but I'm sure that'll get done. And then the other thing I would just mention is hopefully, knock on wood, there will be OTAs this year, and and that'll be a big thing. Uh, obviously, there weren't any in-person OTAs uh, last year, so if they can get out there together in Thousand Oaks um, starting in, in April or whatever it may be, uh, then, then that'll be huge too, just to get all those guys in the same area and, and get to know them and that sort of thing. So I'm sure the Rams are very, very much hoping that it's uh, a normal as possible uh, OTAs this season. Yeah, and I know we are for sure because it's just more fun when we can watch football and and be together as as human beings. So I think that we're all hoping it's a, a little bit more normal of a spring and summer this this time around. Um, meanwhile, like it's it's been um, it's crazy thinking we're talking about spring workouts again. It's been almost a year since uh, since we were last talking about the Rams before the draft. And um, I think yeah. a couple of weeks from now, Rich is when I was moving over to this beat from three time zones wow. away. So um, just wanted to thank you guys. I think we have um, really, really just embedded excitedly into this podcast. And, and now that we've, we're opening up a new element with the, these voicemails, we're expecting to engage with you guys even further. Um, we really appreciate you sending in your questions. We got like so many great ones that it was really hard to pick. Um, but keep sending them and, and even ones we didn't get to this week, if you've already sent, like we're still looking through them and I'm listening to all of them and, um, really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Um, just wanted to point out that right now through April 5th, we are doing a $1 per month for six months, uh, athletic subscription package. If that's not something that you can jump on right now, which hopefully you do, um, cause the draft is coming up. We're going to have a ton of good content in that regard. Um, if you can't jump on that, uh, you know I always love talking about the discounts, Rich. So you can also oh, yeah. always sign up through the 11 Personnel Podcast. Um, you can always subscribe to The Athletic through our podcast page. And in doing so, you get the discount. Yeah, Jordan, really excited to see what you come up with here over the next uh, few weeks leading leading up to the draft. It's such an awesome time in the sports world right now. Of course, we've got March Madness going on. We've got USC and UCLA still very much active in the NCAA tournament going into this weekend. And the great thing about the athletic is it's not just NFL. Our our college basketball crew is here too to bring you a new show called The Ding You, which is presented by BetMGM. And they cover all the action on and off the court and at the sportsbook, grabbing insight from the athletics, college basketball writers, and picking the brain of BetMGM's top bookmakers. So you definitely want to join them for their next show discussing the Sweet 16, which will be Friday, March 26th at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Daily Ding feed. It's also streaming on the Athletics YouTube channel. So definitely go and check them out. And we really appreciate everybody, all the fun comments that we get on the Apple 
podcast page. I love the five-star ones, of course, but I also love the witty comments that the people leave, even some of the inside jokes. And we just, we really appreciate you supporting our work and, and we'll be back with you here again real soon.